Welcome. So today I'm going to talk about proper leaving and cleaving, and we're going to look at Genesis. And based on this, I think you'll learn uh, what the typical interpretation is when most people go through marriage or premarital counseling, um, but why I think it actually misses a big opportunity to uncover potential issues in areas of growth. Um, I don't spend much time, but I do reference, does it apply only to a man and what does that mean? Um, and then I try to address what the ideal solution to potential problems that may be surfaced if we actually look at it the right way. So this is going to be a lightning round, which I describe as it's off the cuff. It's something that I'm just, I just had this idea. And so it doesn't have the same level of exegesis and exposition. So do your own research, but let's go ahead and begin. So one of the more common things that's very typical in most uh, premarital, we went through it was what is the nature of leaving and cleaving. So let's take a look. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And usually there's one day or it's a page in the workbook to talk about the relationship with your in-laws and what is the nature of that relationship that you have with your uh, parents, respectively, in the premarital phase. And some of the things that they may address, which I think are fair, are, well, who will have the deci deciding factors in terms of where one lives, uh, how one may raise children if you end up being blessed by having children, um, who handles the money. And so those are totally legitimate factors. If you haven't sufficiently separated from your parents and they are in fact making some of those decisions for you, then that becomes a real challenge and it's definitely worth discussing and the depth of it I feel uh, there's sort of an injustice in the way most premarital is done it's done as a one and done circumstance hey take a look at this do you want to discuss it but I actually believe you could spend weeks talking about this area of topic but most people don't and that's a whole other topic that I could go into about why that's missing I'm trying to address that here. But before I go any further, I know that a lot of the series has been, well, what is the nature of man? What is the nature of woman? What's the different role for a husband? And what's the different respective role for a wife? And this one only references the man. It doesn't say that the woman is supposed to cleave. And so the question that I would want to raise just out of continuity and consistency as well, does that mean the wife doesn't need to leave the father and the mother and hold fast to his husband, and they shall become one flesh. So I don't know the full answer. I do believe the answer lies within they shall become one flesh in the sense that if the man does not leave his mother and father, they will not be one flesh. So the question becomes, well, if it doesn't apply to a woman, if the woman has not left her father and mother, are they still one flesh? And I would say probably, probably not. So that's kind of how I'll do the quick and dirty on that. I think there's maybe more discussion if you want, and I don't have the answer to that. So I don't wanna get held up on that. I wanna look at what is the overlooked problem that doesn't probe more deeply of what a healthy separation actually is. And what are the problems that come from not doing that? And so to ground this, 
Remember, we said the common one is who's making these outside decisions? What's the level of their involvement? I think that's totally fair. And when we went through it, we kind of like talked about it and it was like, okay, yeah, we make our own in independent decisions. They're not going to make the deciding decision. They don't have any governing power over like um, budget. They're like, I'm not an allowance or she's not an allowance. But here's something that I think that I realize is not looked into and is probably worth looking at. And it comes from Matthew 15, 8. And it is Jesus who is talking to the religious leaders. And he says, he answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So in that context, they were trying to adhere to certain man-made rules, religious rules, which he refers to as traditions, even though they ended up getting in the way of what God actually desires in terms of relationship, love, true authority, lordship, that sort of thing. But I actually think tradition is something that hasn't often, is often overlooked, and there's kind of a lot that can be um, mined in understanding this. So what do I mean by tradition? So first level is what is the tradition? What is being modeled by, let's, for simplicity, let's say we're talking about the wife. What has been modeled and really mining it, for, not just the surface answer, to the wife by the mother of how to treat the husband? Like that is an active conversation. Because let's say they acknowledge the wife models, oh yeah, the model isn't good. He's disrespectful, kind of overpowers him. He's very passive and he doesn't know what to do with it. Or they're very conflict, um, you know, ridden, the, you know, or they're conflict avoidant, whatever that may be. The question is, how easy is it to not model those again, even if you acknowledge, I don't want to do that. I see that as a problem. And so there's two levels within it. The first one is the willingness to acknowledge the depth of that problem. And I feel a lot of times it's, it's passed over too quickly. It's not really discussed because it feels dishonoring mother and father to open up the sort of the kimono on the personal problems with your parents. I mean, that is ultimately the ultimate sort of secret that's often kept within families and delivered within children. Ah, the one thing I know I can't talk about is the problem with my parents and what they, their problems with them. But when it comes time to the marriage, that is the one thing I think that needs the most inspection because that modeling on both sides is definitely going to be there. It's going to be an impact. The mother who hasn't modeled, and I'll talk about this shortly, taught how to be a wife, the only modeling that's there that's proactive is how to be a mother. And if the teaching is how to be a mother, then the wife will mother the husband. Now, let's take it even further. What has been the cleaving or the relationship or the observation of the husband to the mother? So if the relationship with the mother isn't good, 
and there hasn't been an effective leaving of that history and the patterns, I'm gonna use patterns interchangeably with tradition, well, that's going to create a whole other set of problems once that relationship has been defined by, in this example, the wife mothering the husband and the husband then reacting to the wife as he has to his mother and that wasn't good and they really didn't talk about what's the nature of that. Now you've got this huge dynamic that's operating and most people won't be able to surface it because it wasn't surfaced either at the beginning and certainly not surfaced while growing up because much, much of that time is as children or adolescents. So there isn't enough you know, uh, discernment that's been built to actually call it out. This is an often overlooked problem because it's not probed truly deeply. Let's, let's, let's use another example is what is, what are some hidden emotional wounds that are, that are not addressed? A healthy approach is to say on one side, I have the following wounds because I was missing this X, Y, Z, or I got too much of this from my parents. If one or both don't disclose that, then those habits and those wounds will come in. And then what's typically going to happen is, let's say the wife is wounded truly by the mother. The mother is controlling and that controlling feels like it's a deprecation of that self-worth. Then when something comes up, that loss of self-worth will not be assigned back to the mother because it hasn't been discussed. There hasn't been a cleaving. It'll be assigned to the husband. The husband's now to blame for this self-worth and this wounding. Conversely, part of this holding fast, mutually holding fast is suppose somebody says, you know, this is the wounding that I had from my mother. And if it's not holding fast, the wife hears it and this, and then continues to repeat the wound. That is not also not helpful. So it goes both ways. The first is deep and adequate disclosure. This is what really happened. And being honest, you know, I am carrying this because of this relationship with my mother or my father. And then the second one is what, how should the other person react to that? What are the pitfalls or the areas specifically that the counterparty, so the others, the spouse, needs to be aware of to not go and re-enter that. Because without that, I guarantee there will be a breaking of the commandments of God and those less to do with purity, but just to sort of how do we love and carry one another's burdens for the sake of tradition. Tradition being the patterns that are passed on from what we've observed and what we've taught from our parents. And so what is one of the weaknesses and the antidotes at the same time? So this one feels tilted towards um, the wives. I think it's applicable on, on both sides um, because Titus does have the comparable version um, where somebody else, an older person, is supposed to teach the younger person. Uh, so let's take a look. So in Titus 2, uh, 3 to 5, um, well, actually, we'll just start with Titus 2. And so it is you, speaking to an older man, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. 
Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy, respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women, etc., etc., etc. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. So there is supposed to be some in instruction that's supposed to happen uh, from those who are established. I mean, this is the definition of who should be a leader or an elder in the church, meaning the ability to teach older men. So they have the ability and the respect and the counter sort of confidence and also to be able to teach older women. And so if they can't do that, then there's a problem within the nature of the church, meaning the elders haven't been developed or the pastors aren't, don't have enough bandwidth. This alone is missing a foundation, and it could be the antidote where the parents aren't you know, providing that guidance. So, so I, I don't know what the answer is if you're looking at a church that doesn't do that. And let's take a look at specifically how um, the older women should do it. They should, be, they should teach the older women to be reverent in the way to live, not be slanderers, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, busy at home, to be kind, subject to husbands, so that no one will malign the word. So the reason why I pulled that one out is because this one, the first one, seemed to be suggesting, okay, you've got to teach the older men. And I want to spend more time into that. I think I'm kind of losing, losing the thread here. But there is an instruction that comes from the leaders of the church to supplement in the case that the biological father is in fact not able to impart those and in many and in many families that is the case if you're from a family where both sides did provide the instruction and the guidance um, as described in um, Titus 2 then that's great but I would say I believe most are missing that and so I want to pull back and say, well, if I've identified there's a problem, one of the ways is to seek out, and it may not be through the church. Ideally, it should. It's the reason why I think many things are, are not sufficient. These short courses, they, you know, the premarital often are tr attempts to do that, but I don't know if there's, there's, uh, there's much there, so we're not going to solve the solution here. I think it's better to first surface the problem and to address are there traditions on both sides that haven't been surfaced that have to do with not properly leaving one's father and mother? And is there a way as part of that surfacing that each other knows how to address those underlying issues, wounds, and patterns? I do believe that a lot of that should ideally come from the leadership in the church. We have to acknowledge that that often doesn't. And to that, I don't have an answer for it. But I know that the first step is identify the problems, talk about that, and the problems will at least be on the surface and then a desire to address those. Um, there are probably multiple ways to do that, including getting content like this or from books or from um, other folks. But I think what's missing and the key takeaway from this is have those problems buried deep within the relationship with father and mother 
been adequately addressed and surfaced. Because if not, then it is in fact breaking the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition. If you have comments, we'd love to hear them. Connect online, or you can record something and it'll be posted right here, and then I may even be able to include it in the next one. Thanks. Thank <laughs> you.